Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is a podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today, we bring you two stories. Each story is about one of the most amazing dunks in basketball history. One of the dunks is from the NBA, and the other is from the Olympics. But each is memorable because of the context of the situation, the power of the dunk itself, the crowd reaction, and the player's reaction. All of this goes together to create those moments that are very hard to forget. The first dunk that we will talk about is the Lister Blister. I'll explain in a moment how it got its name, but here is the situation. It was April 30th, 1992, and it was the first round of the NBA's Western Conference playoffs. This particular first round matchup was between the third seeded Golden State Warriors and the sixth seeded Seattle Supersonics. Back then, the first round was just a best of five, not a best of seven as it is today. Seattle was up two games to one going into game four. Seattle was looking to close out the series and move on to the second round. What they had going for them was that game four was at home and it was gonna be played in front of their own Supersonics home crowd. Both teams played the game pretty evenly. In the middle of the second quarter, with about six minutes left, the Warriors had the ball. They swung the ball around to Sarunas Marshallonis, who took a jump shot from the left elbow. The shot missed, but the Warriors were still up 47 to 46. Sean Kemp grabbed the defensive rebound for the Sonics and immediately passed the ball out to Gary Payton. Payton quickly brought the ball up court. Just as he got to midcourt, he saw Ricky Pierce open on the left side and send the ball his way. But the Warriors quickly double teamed Pierce with Marshallonis and Tim Hardaway and trapped him in the left corner. Pierce was in trouble and needed to get the ball out of the trap. Kemp originally positioned himself on the right elbow, but saw that Pierce was in trouble. So he backed up to the three-point line to make himself open for a pass. Pierce saw him and jumped and turned in one motion and sent the ball flying in Kemp's direction. The pass was a bit off, but Pierce just needed to heave the ball toward Kemp. Kemp had to reach back with his left hand to gather the ball, and in one motion he brought the ball under control and took off toward the basket. He took only one dribble, gathered himself, and went up for the windmill jam. Now the announcer called it a tomahawk jam, but it really was a windmill jam. Of course, I had the benefit of watching the highlight 20 times in a row and getting ready for this episode while he was calling the game live as it was happening. Now, here is where the name of the dunk comes from. The center for the Warriors was 7-foot Alton Lister. He was in his 11th year in the NBA and his third year with the Warriors. He had missed most of the season due to injury and only played 26 games. He only averaged 4 points per game that season, so the Warriors really signed him for his height and defense. But he was healthy heading into the playoffs. Lister was originally covering Benoit Benjamin from the Supersonics, but when he saw Kemp catch the ball from Pierce and start heading toward the basket, Lister naturally slid over and stepped up to take the charge. Unfortunately for Lister, he never quite got his feet set. By the time he had positioned himself in front of Kemp, 
Kemp was already in the air, as was his style, Kemp had cut the ball near his right hip and swung it around windmill style and brought it down on Lister's head. At the same time as the ball was going through the rim, Kemp's right knee was in Lister's chest, which knocked him back, causing Lister to slide on his backside. But here is what really made the dunk. Kemp came down in a low squat and pointed both index fingers at Lister as if to say, I gotcha, or take that. Today, that would have gotten Kemp a technical foul for taunting, but back then, it was still perfectly legal. As the camera panned over to Lister, he started to slowly get up with a look on his face that said, I can't believe this is how I'm going to make ESPN tonight. Not only was the dunk absolutely vicious, but it also gave the Supersonics the lead and all of the emotional momentum. The crowd was going wild. Seattle won the game 119-116 and clinched a spot in the second round where they lost four games to one to the Utah Jazz. But as I said at the top, it was one of those moments that still gets played today when you talk about the greatest dunks in NBA history. The Lister Blister will live on for as long as there are NBA highlights. By the way, I'll put a link in the description for this dunk so you can check it out for yourself. Well, this is a good place to take a break, and then I'll be right back with our second dunk right after this. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome back to the show. I have just shared the story of the Lister Blister dunk that Sean Kemp brought down on the head of Alton Lister. So now let's get into the second dunk that I have for you. This one is from the 2000 Sydney Olympics. The dunker was Vince Carter. The victim was Frederick Weiss of France. But the amazing thing was that Vince Carter was not originally selected to be on the team for the Olympics. He was originally bypassed for Ray Allen. After all, the Olympic team only has 12 spots, so very tough decisions have to be made. But Carter made the team in the spring of 2000 as a replacement player when Tom Gugliotta tore ligaments in his knee. It turned out that Carter would end up leading the entire team in scoring at just a hair under 15 points per game for the entire run of the Olympics. So Carter was now part of the team and off he went to Australia to compete in the Summer Olympics which were actually held in late September and early October because in Australia the summer goes from December to March. So late September was actually their spring but that was close enough to be called the Summer Olympics. Team USA was not quite as dominant in 2000 as they had been in the previous two Olympics where NBA players were allowed to participate. The original Dream Team in 1992 won their games by an average of 44 points. The 1996 squad won their games by an average of 32 points. And this 2000 squad was winning by an average of only 22 points per game. The rest of the world was catching up to the United States. At the 2000 Olympics, the team from Lithuania took Team USA to the final minutes on two occasions. In any case, the date was September 25th of 2000. Team USA played France in the round robin stage of the tournament. The game was in the second half with Team USA up by 15 points in a 69-54 game. There was approximately 16 minutes left on the clock. Now here is a name that you'll remember from our first story on the Lister Blister. Gary Payton. Payton was on the court when Kemp destroyed Alton Lister. And he was on the court at the Olympics when Vince Carter defied logic. So here is the sequence. Payton missed a contested layup. Vin Baker then tried the tip-in but also missed. Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen both retreated to get back on defense as Jan Bonato from France secured the rebound off of Baker's missed putback attempt. Bonato tried a behind-the-back pass out to the wing to get France back on the offense. But Carter, coming from midcourt, jumped the pass and stole it while moving at full speed. 
He took two dribbles and went up for the ferocious tomahawk jam. Frederick Weiss from France is 7 foot 2 or 218 centimeters. Weiss played professionally in the Greek League and was considered below NBA level of skill. But he was the center for France and he did the right thing by stepping forward to take the charge against Vince Carter. I mean, who even thinks about taking it in against a defender that tall? Surely, Weiss thought, Carter would hit the brakes and pass it to Baker or Payton. But Carter gathered himself and went for it. He went right over Vice's head. He scissored his legs in order to clear Vice. Vice could not believe what Carter was doing. He actually ducked his head a little, but Carter completely cleared Vice and brought down the hammer. Carter had completely jumped over a man seven foot two and dunked it. Even French player Mou Sonko, who was on the bench at the time, jumped up and started cheering for the dunk. He was celebrating as if it were France that had scored. The French crowd even cheered the dunk. They had never seen anything like it before. The arena was going wild. They continued to show the replay on the big screen and getting reactions from the crowd every time they played it. The one thing that I will say about European crowds when it comes to sports, when they see something magical, even if it comes from the opponent, they will stand up and clap in appreciation of what just happened. They are good about giving credit where credit is due, and I think we could use a little bit of that in America. Like in the 1991 NBA Finals when Michael Jordan went up for that layup with his right hand and then switched it to his left in midair against my Lakers, I need to appreciate that for what it was, one of the greatest moves of all time. I can't be mad at that. I was 16 years old at the time and said to myself, well, if he's going to make shots like that, we have no chance. But the French crowd actually cheered Carter's dunk. That is amazing sportsmanship. Now Vice closed his eyes as Carter went up and did not open them again until after the dunk was over, but almost immediately the French media was calling the dunk Le Dunk de la Mort. In English, that means the dunk of death. Europe loves to use the word death whenever they can in a sports context. At the World Cup, all of the countries are divided into groups of four to play the opening round robin stage of the tournament. Within each group of four, only two teams will move on to the second stage of the tournament. Most of the groups typically have two really strong teams and two weaker teams, so it becomes pretty obvious which two teams will make it through to the second stage. But inevitably, there is always one group that, because of the draw, end up with three strong teams, meaning that one of those strong teams is going to get knocked out in the first round. For each World Cup, that group is tagged with the name, the Group of Death. In case anyone thinks that I am being harsh, my wife is from Europe. She was born and raised in Madrid, Spain, and did not move to the United States until she was 13 years old, and I have spent a little bit of time in Europe myself. But back to our story. Carter went on to play 22 seasons in the NBA, which is a record, and I'm sure that he will be selected to the Hall of Fame because he had an absolutely fabulous career. Vice joined the Knicks Summer League team the following year, but back and knee injuries limited his mobility. He went back to France, where he still had a very successful basketball career, and he was always known as the victim of the dunk of death. Later, he fell into depression and alcoholism. However, he seems to have bounced back and is happy running a couple of small businesses in France with his wife. So, there you have it. The Lister Blister and the Dunk of Death, or Le Dunk de la Mort. I picked these two dunks for this episode because they are practically burned into my brain as two of the greatest dunks of all time. It was not until I was doing my research that I realized that Gary Payton was actually on the court in both stories. Right place? at the right time, I guess. Well, that is it for today. I hope you've enjoyed these two stories. Again, I have put a link to both dunks in the description in case you want to check out the actual dunks. 
Join us next time when we share the story of Wes Unseld, one of only two NBA players to win the NBA's MVP award as a rookie. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports History Year. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.